3: Rachel Zoe here, and we're going back to the Rachel Zoe Project for a very special takeover on my podcast, Climbing in Heels. Come with me as I take you back to season one to give you all the the behind-the-scenes details and drama. I'll be joined by some special guests that'll be helping me share the real stories behind the most iconic moments in the show. So do not miss this special takeover of Climbing in Heels. It's going to be bananas. Listen to Climbing in Heels with Rachel Zoe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking.
5: Hey there and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, Let the sun shine, let the sun shine in, the sunshine in. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Fokelbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. And uh hey, solar power.
6: Solar power. I have a question for you, Jonathan. Ask
5: me your question.
6: Okay, so I know there's this great cost about uh, getting rockets into space because you got to use all this fuel and and all that. Uh Why don't they just make solar-powered rockets? That's a
5: great question. No, it's not. Sure it is. (laughs) Think of it this way. The sun... The sun is a very powerful object, right? Yeah. And there's
4: even more of it in space.
5: And uh-huh. and and the energy that we're using on Earth, most of it in some form or another, we owe to the sun, if you trace it back far enough, right? That's
6: true. Well, yeah, it's almost all solar. I guess maybe not like geothermal, but if you're talking about Wind power, well, that's driven by pressure differentials that are caused by the sun heating the crust of the earth. Uh, If you're doing solar power, of course, that's solar. Uh,
4: Coal is technically um, plants and animals that have been compressed over a long period of time and were thus part of the uh, light cycle at some point. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, they
6: made their energy from solar. Exactly.
5: Light cycles just make me think of Tron.
6: Uh, Even hydroelectric, you could say, is solar because the sun heats the oceans, which causes the water vapor to rise up. Then it travels up, rains down, and then the rain coming down from the upper elevations is what powers those turbines at the hydroelectric plants.
5: Yeah, so I don't see why your question is so silly. Unless you're talking about using solar panels. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, well, no, actually,
6: I don't think you could power a rocket with electricity in any case.
5: No, no, probably not. No, 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 that (laughs) would not be, that would not really work. No, okay, so. What we're really getting at here is that solar power, there are some problems with uh, efficiency, which we've talked about before. Solar panels have an efficiency that for the consumer market tends to top out right around 20%, 21%, something like that. Uh, there are some prototypes and some that are used for very high level uh, like space applications, stuff that, that keeps, you know, satellites powered, that kind of thing that can reach somewhere in the realm of 40% in lab conditions. Uh, but those are under ideal circumstances. Right. And so we're talking about not even being able to capture all the energy that comes in through the sun. So the sun hits these panels. The panels are only able to capitalize on 20% of the energy that's hitting it. And then on top of that, you have to worry about when the sun's not shining uh, it doesn't translate into that much electricity it's uh it's one of those things where you might say hey what's the point in even trying to make a solar powered vehicle but that hasn't stopped people from making Solar powered vehicles.
6: No kidding. Solar powered vehicles. Yep. Let's talk about those today.
5: Okay. That sounds good. I was, I was ready to talk about, uh, the, the age of Aquarius, but we can switch gears. <laughs> so yeah, it's solar power, renewable energy source, right? You don't have to worry about running out of it. Uh, if, if we run out of solar power, we have bigger problems. We, we've sort of run out of life. Yeah. That yeah.
4: yeah. It's also probably about four billion years in the future.
5: Yeah. So we've got some time. I mean, you know, don't like, plan ahead too far, you know, we got to have some flexibility here. But then it's also uh, it's clean energy, at least the actual energy you get is clean, right? The way we have to create stuff to capture that energy may or may not be clean. We'll talk about that in a second. But the you don't have to worry about you're not creating um, greenhouse gas emissions by using this. It's just clean electricity. So there are reasons why people have been really interested in using solar panels and solar power to make vehicles go.
6: You also uh, don't have to stop somewhere specific and refill it, basically anywhere the sun's shining. I mean, there's a reason you would put solar panels on, say, a Mars rover. Sure. That it's it's continuously replenishable as long as you're basically outdoors in a place where you can get sun. Yeah.
4: Right. You don't have to go to Mars and pre-build gas stations there. Right. Right.
5: right. So that's you know a huge advantage. Uh, and these are these are really important things that people have. Looked into to while designing, you know, some some really cool vehicles in various ways, not just we're going to be talking about lots of different types. We're going to talk about some cars some boats and even some some planes, some aircraft that use solar power to uh, generate the thrust they need to fly, which is pretty phenomenal when you think about it.
6: I don't believe you, except I do, because we've talked about it a little bit before. But did I not were I not to know about it already? I wouldn't believe you that there was
5: incredible. Yeah. Yeah, because, again, we're thinking about the fact that solar a a single solar cell is not generating that much electricity. And you think about the amount of power you need to uh, have an electric motor capable of, say, turning a propeller fast enough to generate thrust or to propel a car forward so that it can race along uh, the Australian outback, because we'll be talking about that, too. Um, It's pretty phenomenal stuff. It does mean that people have had to make some big advances in everything from solar panel technology to battery technology to just engineering the design of aircraft and uh, and other vehicles. So let's talk about some of the reasons before we do that. Let's talk about some of the reasons that are kind of the downside of solar power. So for one, we we kind of mentioned, you know, you kind of have to have sunlight. If you don't have sunlight, then you're not getting power. So, oh, right.
4: It's more useful perhaps in some regions than in other regions, right. and uh, you need to work out that entire thing where if the sun isn't shining and you still want to drive your car or boat or right. et cetera, then
5: you to you have do- to have some sort of energy storage device right. or, uh, or
6: else you don't go. You've got the problem that it just simply isn't as powerful as say an internal combustion engine or like a, a really big battery stored up with energy from the socket
5: right. even if you did have a battery, and you were using the solar power to charge the battery. Uh, in general, you're not. It's hard to generate the same kind of torque that you would get from an internal combustion engine. You might be able to go really fast because I mean, the Tesla Roadster goes really fast, and it's an electric car. You could, in theory, charge that electric vehicle using solar power. You would just not need to drive that car for a while to be able to get enough uh, electricity to to charge it to a a decent amount.
6: Yeah, there's not enough continuous turnover of power from the panels themselves right, to, to power that kind of strength.
5: Exactly. You're you're relying specifically on the energy stored within the battery and then you would have to use the solar power to to regenerate that energy. But uh also solar panels rely on what we call rare earth elements, stuff that uh appears in trace amounts in certain parts of the world and usually it's a, it's combined with other stuff so you have to do some pretty um pretty extreme measures to separate the stuff you need from the stuff you don't want like dipping it into acid baths so it melts away all the stuff you don't want and you're left with the rare earth elements that are really important for creating things like solar panels, these are also important for things like wind turbines. This is the ugly side of renewable energy, where the production of the stuff we use to make those things... These
4: clean technologies is is kind of dirty.
5: Yeah, especially if you're not taking extra care during the production cycle. So. You may have heard that a lot of the rare earth elements are being produced out of China. And China has something somewhere, depending upon whom you ask, somewhere between 23 and 37 percent of the world's supply of rare earth elements in uh, this country.
4: Which is which is a good amount. But the reason that we get most of that stuff from China is because China produces it very cheaply, mostly because they don't care about their workers.
5: Yeah, or the environment. Right. Although that is... <laughs> They're saying that they're changing that, but uh, that this is where it's going to get really kind of difficult and political. So China, while it has maybe somewhere around a quarter to maybe a third of the world's supply of these rare earth elements, is actually supplying closer to 90 to 95 percent of all of the ones that are being used today. So, I mean, that's a it's enormous. And the reason for that, like you said, Lauren, is because they're cheaper coming out of China than they are in other places in the world. One of the reasons is that China has created these huge lakes of pollutants, really, uh, from the mining process. Uh, so when they're separating out those rare earth elements from everything else, you get these very toxic pools that are forming and can cause some really serious health hazards in the populations around that. And uh, recently, like within the last few years, China has been cutting back on the number of rare earth elements that it allows, like the amount that it allows to export from China. Now, the official explanation for that is that they want to put in more controls to be environmentally conscious, which that's... Noble. We want to see.
4: Oh, absolutely. An
5: environmentally conscious approach.
4: And I was being a little bit cheeky. I don't think that China totally doesn't care about its people or its environment. I just think that um, uh, for, for for a while it has been less of a concern than perhaps it should have been.
5: Yeah, these are all most not all. I will say most of the mines are state run. And uh, it it doesn't look it looks like most of the money is going to the state and not to the miners. And on top of that, uh, we also have critics who say perhaps The official explanation isn't entirely true that, that perhaps one of the reasons why China has been cutting back on the exportation of rare earth elements is really so that it can, uh, entice more companies to come over to China. Because if it's not, you know, if the companies come over and build production facilities, then the rare earth elements don't have to be exported. They stay within China until they're in the finished product, which then gets shipped out. So there's been a lot of political maneuvers on both sides and i don't know that anyone is completely you know all the cards are on the table on this issue uh so it's complicated and it's messy and so we, we're we starting to see some rare earth elements start to get a little less expensive to produce in other places so it may turn out that that uh it gets balanced in some other way um we haven't seen people stop demanding their electronics. So we still kind of need these things. And it is one of those little black marks against, not a little black mark, it is a black mark against renewable energy, just because we have to have these these components to make the stuff to get that renewable energy, that that clean electricity that we want.
4: Uh, right. And when that clean electricity is also causing, you know, like sulfuric acid vapor in the local air and uh, radioactive thorium in the water. Yes, uh, we, we should all be concerned about that.
5: Yeah. Now, that all being said, you know, the, these are things that we can address. These are things that we can look to and and ch- make changes and make sure that we're getting these rare earth elements in a responsible way that isn't environmentally damaging or, or hurting populations. We can do that. That's completely something that's within our control once the people who are in charge of it decide that's something to do. So I'm optimistic that we're going to get past this current state of affairs, and move toward a, a, a more responsible way of producing these rare earth elements. So that part, even though it's currently uh, a negative, I think will eventually, given the right the right motivation, go away. So that's, that's one negative that we can say, all right, this is something we can fix, right. right? This is something we can take care of. There are other ones that we can't, like the whole idea when the sun's not out, you're not generating electricity. We can't really... That. You know, it's not like uh, unless we are actually putting solar panels outside the the stratosphere, but then we're not really using it for vehicles anymore. <laughs> so
4: unless you're beaming it to the vehicles with yeah. well, more non-existent technology,
5: you could be
6: beaming it to the power grid and then the yes. vehicles plug into the power grid and the electric vehicles take you where you need to go.
5: Well, then, yeah, it's you all could one do it, big, anyway.
6: happy cycle.
5: So there's also the idea of power density on these solar vehicles. Yeah. The idea of you, you need to have enough panels there to generate the electricity you need to do whatever it is those those panels are meant to do. So let's say we've got a pure solar powered car. There's no real battery like if there's there's maybe a battery there to run some auxiliary systems but the main drive here is just from solar power you would have to have lots of panels coating the the exterior of this car and it might not look too car like
6: yeah well you need to think about there are some really kind of basic practical limitations you have when you're designing a car one of the things is y- you can't give it like a 500-meter square flat area on the top, you know, it can, yeah, it, it would, needs to fit in a lane and drive on the road.
5: Assuming that you're ever going to make this street legal, yeah. A, right. lot of the, a lot of the cars we're going to talk about are not necessarily street legal. It's more a kind of a concept car in a way. They, they, they work, but they're not meant to be, you know, driving there right next to other vehicles.
6: Right, but then also... You have those same concerns cutting into things that are going to matter for any car that needs to go, like weight and aerodynamic stability. Sure. If you've got huge flat surfaces on the car that are supposed to be facing the sun at all times for you know the maximum absorption of the s- solar energy, that's probably going to cut into your car's aerodynamic design.
5: Yeah, usually you see these kind of almost wing-like vehicles. Yeah. There are some that are more curvy and They, they look kind of, of like airplanes on the ground. Yeah, there yeah, are a lot yeah. that look like that, particularly the ones that are meant for racing.
4: You also start having to worry about um, heat sink. I mean because the the purpose of these things is to is to draw in heat energy from the sun and if you're using that to carry something that people are are sitting in
6: it gets a little toasty. It can get toasty. I would imagine also if you were trying to make this available to the consumer and attractive in a commercial marketplace, safety might be a concern, because if you're if you're trying to design a car that would be powered by solar panels, it needs to be very, very light. Yeah. And when you design a car that's that light, people start having concerns about uh, how does it stand up on impact?
5: Well, and and to be fair, I mean, you might as well go ahead and get this out of the way uh, solar powered vehicles are not going to be something that's in the consumer realm. That's, no. it's not meant to be in the consumer realm, but they have an important place and we'll discuss that, but C-
4: certainly not anytime in the very near future.
5: Yeah. I, I can't, I mean, they might play a role. Like you might have a you know, Toyota has Priuses that have solar panels that allow you to, uh, help, uh, Power some of the auxiliary systems not necessarily and help recharge the batteries well. It also powers a little fan to help uh, ventilate Keep the car.
4: Cool. Yeah. When so it's it doesn't. Parked. Yeah. Right. So
5: you don't end up with a car that's a million degrees when you try and, and get inside, which in Atlanta, trust me, it happens. So, um, you know, there are consumer versions out there, but it's not meant as like a fully solar powered vehicle that that I don't think we're going to see just because of the limitations we've talked about. But it doesn't mean that it's not important and that it won't help in the long run.
4: Oh, Ford has a concept out, but I'll talk about that a little bit later on down the line.
5: So let's let's go on to some of these solar vehicles. I mean, the one other drawback, I guess I should say, is that solar panels are expensive. Uh, And so these these vehicles that we've been looking at Most of them are in this sort of concept prototype phase. They're meant to be a proof of concept, not something that's going to hit the consumer market. And so they also tend to be incredibly expensive because they're, they're using some cutting edge technology and, and customized engineering for them to work. So first we're going to talk about some solar cars. So like we said, these tend to be made out of very lightweight materials like fiberglass, uh, Pretty much anything that isn't necessary to make the car go is not going to be on that car.
4: Uh, right. The the kind of testing, racing, concept sort of things are usually single passenger vehicles.
5: Yeah. The, there's uh, one challenge that I read about where it's for two two person vehicles. But for the most part, there are, uh, and it, that was meant to show as a practicality, like the idea of how practical can you make a solar vehicle. Uh, but for for the <laughs> how lighter
6: <are> your people, <laughs> yeah,
5: you know, when you have to ask someone like why'd you have for lunch today? Cause I don't know if we can make it to work or not. That's, that's, <laughs> that's rough. But, um,
4: uh, the, these have been around for a few decades though, back in the late seventies and early eighties, a few private citizens began building their own experimental vehicles. Mm. Uh, I mean, I mean, single issue clearly never meant for the market or anything like that, or even for this kind of experimental run. Um, and then uh, on the commercial end, like we were kind of saying a minute ago there, there are some concessions to solar energy that are on the market. Indeed. Um, uh t- toyota has has those those optional panels on its prius mazda has a couple things uh cadillac's Provac and nissan's leaf both use um panels to power its cabin electronics mm-hmm. and uh and and then like i was saying at c is 2014 ford debuted a concept car w- with a um kind of lens like like a lens canopy on top of it that it says could enable the vehicle to fully charge its batteries on a single day of sunlight Um,
5: that's pretty incredible. And
4: I mean, I mean the car itself currently runs something like thirty three, thirty five thousand $35,000 and they have not put a price tag on this crazy lens idea of theirs yet. But
5: I sit there and I think about like, I've got a backpack sitting in the office right now that has a solar panel on it and it has a battery pack inside it. And it's meant to help you charge your, your portable electronics when you're out and about. Right. Uh, if I want to charge that battery pack, which can give me maybe 60 percent charge on a phone, uh, it takes 12 hours of constant exposure to sunlight for me to get that, that battery pack. Recharged.
6: Your backpack may not be cutting edge.
5: No, I know, I know, <laughs> but I'm saying that it is incredible to me. Therefore, yeah. that a car would be able to potentially recharge its entire battery within the course of a single day in sunlight. That oh, is I, such a huge leap. It's I totally to
6: understand. Me. Yes. Yeah.
5: So uh, then I I wanted to talk about the World Solar Challenge. So it's a quote unquote friendly competition between engineering <laughs> teams. Yeah, I'm sure there's not a lot
6: unlike of... those uh, solar challenges where people show up with not. And broken bottles. Uh, I'm
5: sure there's some trash talking, though, that goes on in these things. Although, maybe people don't necessarily understand each other because the teams do come from all over the world. They meet in Australia. And the 2013 course was a 3,000 kilometer course. That's about 1,864 miles. And it stretched from Darwin, Australia, to Adelaide. And uh, the cars were allowed to store only five kilowatt hours of energy, which is about 10 percent of all the energy needed to move the car.
6: Now, when you say store, does that mean they were only able to arrive with that much in their batteries or could only store that much total?
5: That That's all they could store total that in the car the at battery any given capacity. Time. Yeah, yeah. Okay. the battery capacity was only five okay. kilowatt hours because anything beyond that was considered to be cheating. Like You had to have the main part of your power needed to come from Direct solar energy, although you could also uh, recapture any kinetic energy, like, you know, have regenerative braking, that kind of stuff. Oh, that's cool. Um, you could use that to help recharge the battery or, or otherwise, you know, use kinetic energy to help your car go. And, uh, the, they had several different types of challenges. There was the, the Challenger class, the Cruiser class, and the Adventure class. Uh, the Challenger class was my, was the one that was my favorite. Uh, it was, it involved the teams getting out, getting into their cars. And then driving from, uh, you know, from Darwin to Adelaide and every day at 5 PM, they had to stop. They were required by the rules to stop at 5 PM, wherever they were and camp out overnight. And then the next day, uh, they would be allowed to continue the race. So it was one where, uh, you know, you couldn't just rely on your battery to get you a little extra. You had to stop when everybody else did. And, um, it, that to me was pretty phenomenal. The, the, the winner was a team from the Netherlands, the solar car team, the Nuon solar car team. Uh, they made it, the trip, uh, in 33 hours, three minutes. Their average speed was 90.71 kilometers per hour or 56 miles per hour. So these are not, these are race cars for solar races, but they're not necessarily hitting blinding speeds. Although I should also add that at least when they first did this race, one of the limitations was the 110 kilometer per hour speed limit that Australia had, and they couldn't. <laughs> the teams were like, we, we could make something that's faster than that, but we're not allowed to. So, <laughs> but yeah, I should also say, you know, that was average speed was 56 miles per hour. So top speed was different from that. That's uh, actually
4: not bad at all. I mean, I mean for for a solar powered car. Yeah,
5: it's yeah, better than i would have thought yeah yeah when you sit there and you think 56 miles per hour and you never have to stop to refuel but you do have to stop when the sun essentially goes down uh, it's not too bad the united states they had a team from stanford the solar car project that came in fourth place uh, there were several other teams from japan australia the netherlands uh, another one from the united states as well uh, university of michigan had a car in this race uh very interesting stuff they the other classes were not really focused on speed primarily the cruiser class was really on the practicality this was the one where you had a driver and passenger uh as part of the the package like you had to have two people being transported in these cars and they were given scores based upon not just the speed but the uh, energy efficiency and the actual practicality of it as a vehicle. So there's some subjectivity to that score because there was like a panel of judges who would decide what was practical versus not practical. And I don't know what their criteria were for that, but uh, I thought that was interesting. And then they had the uh, adventure class, which was a a race that allowed former competitors, people or, or research teams that had put in a car in previous races uh, to man a brand new team of drivers and and operators, uh, and then go through the race just for fun. <laughs> they, they had already they had already participated once, so this was not like they weren't eligible for the Challenger crew class uh, race. But if they wanted to re race a car they had already fielded once, perhaps they'd made improvements. Some of these cars don't make it all the way through and end up they trailer their cars they have to put them Uh, in the back of a trailer mm -hmm. so there could be some a matter of pride for some teams who say we've made some improvements and this time we're going to make the whole thing they would go in the adventure class so that's kind of neat and uh, it's biennial so the next one will be in 2015.
4: Uh, There are a few other races like this around the world. There's one in the US and Canada called, uh, appropriately, the American Solar Challenge, and one in South America called the Atacama Solar Challenge because it takes place in the Atacama Desert. Mm. Um, There's also a Formula Sun, uh, Formula Sun Grand Prix track event, um, which is more focused on that speed and handling kind of stuff, and, uh, can I tell you guys I didn't want to write it in the notes because I I felt like you Jonathan especially would very much appreciate this. Yeah, uh, hit me with it. Can can you imagine what this type of thing is called? It's called solar racing. Ray racing. Right. Nice. <laughs>
5: Nice. That's one of those that works better in print. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. Excellent. Uh, There are also buses that rely on solar power, which you might that might surprise you because you're thinking, all right, these these cars we're talking about, these concept cars are made out of this super lightweight material. They can hold maybe one or two people. They can't go very fast. How would you make that into a bus? Yeah.
6: When I think bus, I do not think aerodynamic, nor do I think lightweight.
5: Yeah. And in this case, you'd be correct. These are not. These weird vehicles that couldn't withstand an impact or, you know, they're not they're essentially electric buses. Uh,
4: But you do have lots of surface area on a bus. So that's a that's a plus. And
5: some of them do have solar panels, although, like you pointed out, Lauren, one of the things you have to consider there is the heat problem. Uh, Some of them don't have any solar panels on them at all. They are just an electric vehicle, but they're called solar buses because they are getting their electricity from refueling stations, these these you know, quote unquote, refueling stations that are really solar panel farms. They're stationary uh, units that have solar panels that are uh, geared to point toward the sun. And then they just get the electricity from those places.
6: Okay, now that that's not cool. I mean, that is cool, but that's not really sort of what we're talking about. It's
5: not a vehicle that uses sunlight to directly translate into motion. Yeah, this was this is kind of an intermediary step. It's really making sure that the electricity you get is from a clean source as opposed to some greenhouse gas emitting type of uh, of, of fuel source.
6: Right. I'm not knocking it. I'm just talking about how it's not necessarily a solar vehicle. Yes, it's better
4: than any solar powered buses I have built this week. Yeah.
5: So. <laughs> so next we have boats. So, yeah, there are boats that use solar power. Most of them tend to be used for rivers and canals. They're not most of them are you know using these these relatively calm waterways because again you're not generating a lot of power you have to have a lot of surface area to generate enough power to move anything that's of a significant size so
6: for some reason a boat seems more reasonable as a solar powered vehicle to me than a car does maybe it's just because people aren't really used to boats going all that fast
5: well it all depends. yeah i mean if you've obviously never been on a cigarette speed boat but uh, uh yeah there's some that that go really fast, but not these, and a lot of them are also hybrids, in that they're using sails as well, so you get wind power and solar power, so still getting lots of of uh, renewable energy that's not emitting any greenhouse gases in the in the mix. but there are some concept boats actually they've been built so're they're, they're beyond concepts uh that can traverse oceans. Now, the first one that I could find was called sun twenty one and is a 14-meter, or 46-foot, long catamaran. And in 2007, it sailed from Seville, Spain, to Miami, Florida, and then it sailed from Miami to New York. So that's pretty impressive for a solar-powered vehicle. And then you have the—and I'm going to—I apologize ahead of time. I'm going to end up mispronouncing this name because uh, there are all sorts of umlauts and stuff in this that I— don't know how to pronounce, but the Turinor Planet Solar is also another solar-powered catamaran yacht. That one's 30 meters long, which is 98 feet, and it's 15.2 meters wide, so it's 50 feet wide. This thing looks like kind of the boat version of those solar cars. There's no sail. It's just a big, flat solar panel. If you were on the water level and looking at this thing, you would see this incredible catamaran yacht thing. It looks amazing. And it looks like it has like a wing span that stretches out over it from above. You just see like this big flat solar panel. That's vaguely boat shaped. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it only used solar power uh, to, to, uh, to propel itself. So that was pretty phenomenal. Um, and it, did a full circumnavigation of the globe in 2012.
6: This makes me wonder, and I don't know the answer, what is the most efficient way to propel a craft through water? I mean, it, is, it, uh, is it propellers or is it jets? or It's skipping. Skipping? you got to get
5: someone big enough to give a good flick of the wrist. Oh, I see. Uh, actually the, the most efficient way of propelling through water, I I would say you would have to limit your surface area contact with the water. So a catamaran, something that has those almost like skis. Right. So you're, you're limiting as much, uh, of the craft as possible in contact with the water to reduce drag.
4: Friction and drag. Right. Sure. And
5: then you have to have some form of thrust to make you go forward. So. Yeah. I
6: meant the thrust part. Yeah. The
5: thrust part would, I mean, really doesn't matter. I guess you could put a jet on one. But in, if you really wanted to, but um, no, I, I
6: think that we're
4: going somewhere with this giant powered uh yeah. vehicle motion. I think that <laughs> I think really we just that, need that
5: to is what we should build be a gigantic uh, right arm, yeah, complete with wrist uh-huh. and hand.
4: Someone, someone get Terry Gilliam on this. Put I think the craft in means... it, yeah,
5: and then just just do skip it right across the Atlantic. Uh, yeah, so solar boats. <laughs> this is this is one of those applications where. Because of the nature of travel, you can understand it being uh, a viable option. This could be something that you could see in consumer boats. Now, when I say consumer boats, I'm talking about people who make more money than I do, who can (laughs) afford a boat and maintain a boat, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, it would allow you to do things like maybe power all the electronics on board the boat um and whether or not it was using a motor or a sails or a combination, you know that that would be something else.
6: Solar also seems perhaps well suited to boats, just because of the idea that well you're out on the water. Yeah, and that might be one problem with a car. Say you want to have your car collecting solar energy while it's dormant, while you're not driving it. Well, a lot of people park in a parking garage or under a carport or in a garage or under trees, just places where. There's not going to be a lot of sunlight. Right. It, it, there are if fewer on a,
4: trees on the surface of water. Yeah,
6: yeah. exactly. Out, if you're out on the open water, you've got full sunlight. Well, as assuming as there are there's no, no cloud cover.
5: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So definitely one of the the ways we would you know, easily imagine solar power being put to use. One that might not be so easy to imagine is a solar-powered airplane, which it, is...
6: It is just amazing to me that such a thing exists. It
5: is, because... You think about everything you need to make an aircraft fly, and you think about the amount of power that your typical commercial and military aircraft possess, and it's it's a huge amount of power. I mean, it's enormous. It's it's mind-boggling, really. <laughs> and to sit there and think, hey, could we make something that is able to generate enough power just from the electricity these solar panels are, are gathering? to make a vehicle fly i think a few years ago you would have had engineers just say this is not this isn't possible but uh, over the last several years uh, engineers have done the impossible they've managed to make these now in some cases we're talking about unmanned vehicles they're not all uh, piloted by people and in fact unmanned aerial vehicles i think is one of the the areas where we'll see this this kind of technology uh, be put to greater use, not just in proof of concept or engineering challenges, but in actual, oh, yeah. uh, uh, UAVs.
4: I think it's probably gonna, gonna percolate really well over the next few years in UAVs, just because, um, it, it is such a weight issue of bringing fuel up on something that you want to be buzzing around for a good minute.
5: Well, yeah, if you want to use something for reconnaissance, then you, what, the, what you don't want to hear is just as you are getting an idea of whatever it is you're trying to, to, you know, get a good look at once you're starting to get that look, you don't want to hear, hey, we have to fly it back because the batteries are dying. Or, you know, if it's running on some other kind of fuel that the fuel's running out, we have to move it back or else it's not going to be able to fly anymore. If you have a vehicle that can recharge batteries on on the go or even generate enough electricity to fly just from the solar panels alone, which would be a big challenge. Not all UAVs are small. I mean, we're used to the ones that are in the consumer Level where it's the like little the little
4: bitty quadcopter kind yeah, of yeah the
5: parrot AR drones even those are are you know they're bigger than some of the teeny tiny ones but they're still not that big some of the military ones are enormous like the size of of a small jet so then you have a lot more surface area to cover but you know for the smaller drones that's an issue uh, but then we've got actual some some great examples uh, some of these look really funky and it's not a huge surprise because. In order for you to get that amount of lift and be able to, to maintain flight, you gotta make some engineering decisions. You know, once again, we get to a point where anything that is not necessary for flight, you leave off the plane. A lot of these have, uh, have gear that will allow it to roll and then take off and then drops off the plane. (laughs) And then the way you land the plane is you crash the plane. That's not a joke. That's actually built into a lot of these solar powered planes because you don't want the weight of that landing gear wow. to be another consideration.
4: Okay, people have people have different priorities than
5: I do in building. <laughs> well, these to things. be fair, cool. these these planes are not traveling at speeds that you are used to. These planes, like like one of the ones we're going to talk about, is goes at a nice leisurely pace as far as planes are concerned. You're,
4: or, I'm, I'm just thinking about destroying the expensive equipment or potentially destroying. I mean, I'm sure that maybe there's like a water touchdown involved or sure. some kind of
5: yeah Skins field of and,
4: mattresses. I don't right. Know.
6: Well, I would think giant Oof. catcher's glove. If you're talking about solar-powered, uh, unmanned aerial vehicles, one of the the top goals, it would seem like, would be to have a vehicle that didn't have to land, like yeah. that could sustain itself in the air. I, I don't know how feasible—I mean, you, even when you're in the sky, you have to deal with clouds, because I would bet vehicles that are powered by solar have some altitude limitations. But if you could get above the clouds, I mean— that
5: would be a sure a really cool thing. I mean, and we have examples of things like spy balloons that have yeah. solar panels on yeah, board Yeah,
4: Google's Loon Project. Yeah,
5: there you go. That's another one. That's not even a spy thing. That's that's delivering Wi-Fi via balloons that are floating above the clouds. Not
4: a spy thing that we know of. <laughs> Google.
5: Uh, my favorite – we we've told this story a couple of times, but I just love how Google showed up <laughs> at this Australian couple's like home. Like Google Men said, in Black. Yeah, they're like – I
6: think it was uh, New Zealand.
5: Was it Yeah, it was yeah. New yeah. Zealand. You're right. They, this is New Zealand couple's home, and they said, uh, hey, we want to put this on top of your house. Uh, we can't tell you what it's for. And they said, OK. <laughs> Turned out it was Wi-Fi. Yeah,
4: they came back and said, you have Wi-Fi. Congrats.
5: This. do we have anything else? We're never going to <laughs> tell. Time to make Facebook
6: accounts for your sheep. So <laughs> –
5: I thought I thought it'd be fun to describe one of these uh, unmanned aerial vehicles and explain how how weird it looks compared to classic aircraft. So NASA has one called the Helios plane, and it's got a wingspan of 75 meters, which is 247 feet. So it's 247 feet wide.
6: This is a common theme you'll see in these uh, solar powered aircraft.
5: Yeah, they have these huge wingspans for multiple reasons. One of the big ones is that you need enough. Land space there to put all the solar panels down just to generate the electricity you need, uh, but its body length is only 3.7 meters or 12 feet. So it's 247 feet wide and 12 feet long. <laughs> okay, so yeah, this thing looks a little weird. You just now, kind of
6: assume it's sideways.
5: Yeah, yeah, you're like, <laughs> like, wow, I why are the wings so stubby? No, that's the body of the aircraft. What? Yeah, so these, if you want to compare that to a 747. Uh The 747 has a wingspan of 64.3 meters, which is 211 feet. So the Helios plane has a wider wingspan than a 747 does. If you had these two side by side, the Helios would look much wider, but it's also much shorter. It's also... Very, very lightweight. It weighs 929 kilograms, which is 2,048 pounds, whereas a 747 that's fully loaded, as in like passengers and luggage and everything.
4: Mm, champagne service. Yeah. yeah,
5: can be closer to 397,000 kilograms or 875,000 pounds. So 2000, <laughs> 2,098 compared to 875,000 is a pretty big difference.
6: You know, I would imagine another good reason for having those long, long wings compared to the size of the plane is that it generates more lift that way. And
5: in a lot of ways, these solar-powered aircraft are very similar to gliders. They 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 generate – not only are they generating a lot of lift, but they're trying to take advantage of every little bit of, of wind they can get. Uh, they aren't always able to take off in uh, super windy conditions. Because really, anything where you've got winds over ten miles per hour is tr- is problematic, because they they just they have these this enormous wingspan that can easily be affected by these gusts of wind, and then you have a disastrous takeoff.
4: Uh sure, but right if if you can avoid having to run your engine as often or as uh uh powerfully as much.
5: Yeah, yeah. You, then you you can. Take you can advantage save of solar power. Yeah. yeah. A lot of these, by the way, have their propellers, um, directly wired to the solar panels. So they often also have batteries on board. It's not like they don't have a battery, but in fact, most of the time they have pretty cool batteries that are in sheet form. So they're, they're like, again, cause you want to conserve space. You don't want it to have a concentrated amount of weight right in one part of the plane. It distributes the weight and, uh, and makes it so it's not so, so bulky. But uh, you know you, you're relying as much as you can on the solar power as possible, and then you switch over to battery for anything else. Um, you also have one a company called Kinetic
6: with Q's with
5: Q's, yeah, <laughs> instead of K's. Um, it's and like they, a
6: fast food menu item spelling.
5: <laughs> their theirs is called the Zephyr which is a solar-powered unmanned aircraft that stayed aloft for two weeks straight. So that's the current record holder for solar aircraft staying aloft. So two weeks, 14 days of being in the air uh, before it landed again. So proof of concept of this idea of having something perpetually in the air.
6: It was actually so impressive that the Red Hot Chili Peppers wrote a terrible song about it.
5: Yeah, As, as only the Red Hot Chili Peppers can do. Uh, so, uh, a little commentary from, from Jonathan and Joe. Uh, then we have the Solar Impulse. This is one that, uh, that made the news, um, uh, just a, like a year ago. Uh, the Solar Impulse holds the record for the longest manned solar-powered aircraft flight at 26 hours, 10 minutes, and 19 seconds. So this one actually has a human pilot. This is not a UAV like the other ones we've talked about. Uh, and the Solar Impulse 2, which is not launched yet, both literally and figuratively, it will do that next year. Uh, it has got an incredible goal of circumnavigating the Earth. Now, here's where we get into that speed thing I was talking about, Lauren.
6: Yeah. So
5: we usually think of airplanes traveling at really fast speeds, like like 500 miles per hour, or, or f- usually even faster for a commercial jet, right? So. The Solar Impulse 2 is not going to go anywhere near that. The top speed of the Solar Impulse 2 is actually 88 miles per hour. Now, you're talking about an aircraft going around the entire Earth, and they're not going to cheat by going up around the, nor- the, t- the top bits. <laughs> um, so you can imagine this is going to mean that it's going to go days over oceans yeah. without stopping. Um and kind of scary. Kind of yeah. scary. And you think this is a manned vehicle. It's actually designed for two people, two, a pilot and a co-pilot. Wow. Uh, the chairs are very special on board this aircraft. because let me the guess, chairs... Let me
6: guess. Okay. They absorb the heat from your butt and turn that into usable energy. <laughs>
5: Sadly, no. But what they do do, and do do is a great way of oh, putting dear. it. So the chairs are not just chairs. They're also cots and they're also toilets. <laughs> Cause they don't, they can't build all this extra stuff in the plane. They have to conserve as much, uh, weight as they possibly can.
6: Why hasn't the chair slash cot slash toilet caught on in a domestic <laughs> way? I don't know what you're talking about. The chair's at my house. You guys want to come over? Anyway. I
5: don't at all. Really, yeah.
6: any chair can be a toilet. You just get an X Acto knife and. And
5: willpower yeah. is what it takes. And then, <laughs> that's it.
4: Also, I, I really want to say that. I think that if we combine Joe's butt heat energy uh, idea. resource idea no. with the giant idea, if we can get giants and harness their butt heat,
5: uh, I don't know. Yeah. I, I've always heard <laughs> the giants just have cold tushes, but I mean, I, I'm not I'm not read up on the lore, so I could be wrong. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so this this circumnavigating the globe to get back to the actual story here <laughs> uh, will probably take around five months total wow. to get to get all the way around the earth. Um and the just in case you're wondering like well what else is going to be aboard the plane in case of disaster, they will have a survival kit and a life raft.
6: Uh I hope they've got somebody keeping track of them while Oh, I'm sure they'll have, the have that too,
5: but I mean they're you know when it comes to the stuff that's actually on the plane, You're talking about, you know, again, you want the minimum amount of stuff because you want to conserve as much, uh, weight as you can. Then, uh, there, there are other examples of UAVs that we could talk about. Most of them are, are, have, you know, potential military applications. But, uh, Really, I wanted to kind of transition into just a discussion about where do we benefit from these sort of of solar-powered vehicles? Well, most of the ones we've talked about here with maybe, you know, some consumer cars are an exception and some of the boats are an exception, but most of these are vehicles that are not meant to have any kind of application outside of what they're currently attempting to do, like break some records. But we can still benefit from this in multiple ways, Right. I mean, you, you have engineers working on building more efficient solar panels, which can benefit us in all sorts of applications, not just in these concept or, or prototype vehicles uh you have engineers coming up with new ways to create lightweight material that's resilient and can withstand the forces that a vehicle typically encounters uh, also coming up with new designs for for vehicles so that they are are as fit, efficient as possible that can spill over into more classic vehicles which means if you have a car that's made out of a very sturdy, lightweight material and it's really aerodynamic and it's benefited from this research, then you're going to be using less whatever fuel you actually use. You probably aren't going to be using pure solar energy. It's just not really practical. But whatever you are using, you won't be wasting a lot of it.
4: Uh, sure. This could also drive some battery technology. Um, Absolutely. If, if you're combining if – it, if it's a solar-electric hybrid, then uh, advancements in batteries could help everyone.
5: So – I'm really excited by the Solar Impulse 2, right? I'm really excited to see how this shapes up and how the they are able to make this happen. I, I fully believe it's going to happen, that they're going to be able to circumnavigate the globe. It's going to be a true endurance test. Uh, I, I mean, I assume they are going to have to stop occasionally because you got to get stuff to eat and everything.
4: I would think that food, yeah. That's my question. But the it's fact that it's always my question.
5: Yeah, it's always this. Yeah, no, it's mine too. But the idea here is really cool. This idea of creating a an engineering challenge to overcome, and knowing that while it may be a while before the rest of us see a direct benefit from this technology, that's coming down the road, no pun intended, for your solar powered cars. Uh,
6: I would like to go on record and say I don't think the idea of a solar-powered ground vehicle is entirely ludicrous for some certain applications. I mean, I can maybe see a future if we have very increased efficiency on solar panels. You might have, say, some kind of uh, city transit vehicle for single passenger movement between point A and point B
4: or or maybe that that solar bus thing really does have a future if we if we increase that efficiency and and the materials technology to create more lightweight safer buses
5: i definitely see solar power even if we never see it as the primary uh, energy source for a vehicle i definitely see it as being one of the important ways that we use to generate the electricity that charges the batteries on board these electric vehicles or even using solar power to do something else such as to uh, use electrolysis on water and thus generate hydrogen, which you would use in a, maybe a hydrogen-powered car or hydrogen fuel cell vehicle.
6: Yeah, I'd say there's no question about stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to directly powered vehicles that have direct solar power, I don't know. Where do you need vehicles that uh, can go at low speed, one passenger at a time, at a place where there's a lot of sunlight?
5: See, that's, that's tough because I would normally say – a city, but the problem with cities is that you've got lots of buildings yeah. so you don't have a lot of direct sunlight. So Uh Nightvale <laughs> <laughs> It's always night there. <laughs> Actually it's not true. The the sun rises and sets whenever it wants to in Nightvale. Your your
6: personal desert transit vehicle. Yeah. If you, Whenever you need to get out to that one special cactus.
5: Right. Yeah. And you, you're you not on a super tight schedule to do it. But uh it is like we said, it is important for us to look into these technologies because they will benefit us further down the line. So we're going to wrap this up. Guys, if you have suggestions for topics you would like us to talk about in the future, maybe there's some future technology that has really got you excited and you can't believe that we haven't talked about it yet. Well, let us know. Send us a message. Our email is fwthinkingdiscovery.com or drop us a line on the social networks we frequent, which include Facebook, Twitter, and Google. We have the handle fwthinking at all three, and we will talk to you again really soon.
0: For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. It's brand new season two.
3: Rachel Zoe here and we're going back to the Rachel Zoe project for a very special takeover on my podcast Climbing in Heels. Come with me as I take you back to season one to give you all the behind the scenes details and drama. I'll be joined by some special guests that'll be helping me share the real stories behind the most iconic moments in the show. So do not miss this special takeover of Climbing in Heels. It's going to be bananas. Listen to Climbing in Heels with Rachel Zoe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts.